Welcome to the Retail Focus Podcast, a weekly collection of news, interviews, and information from the world of retail. Welcome to this edition of the Retail Focus Podcast. I'm Trent Kling for Leighton Working Behind the Scenes. Coming up on today's episode, we'll be joined by Rod Sides, Vice Chairman of Deloitte LLP, their U.S. retail, wholesale, and distribution leader. You know, we had Rod on the show about a month ago as we talked a little bit about holiday sales expectations. Well, just this last week, Deloitte released information regarding kind of a deep dive into those numbers, and we'll talk to Rod about the many, many subjects covered in their recent holiday forecast report. Also in news, we'll discuss Albertsons releasing their Q2 earnings and a new platform for non-traditional revenue from a major retailer in the U.S. A reminder that you can check us out on social media at Retail Podcast on both Instagram and Twitter. Additionally, if you enjoy the show, please do give us a rating. Those ratings help others to find out about the show and listen in. Now, let's dive right into it as Albertsons, as I mentioned, revealed their second quarter earnings last week with slightly surprising positive sales numbers. Now, when covering grocery, especially here in 2021, it's important to acknowledge that sales numbers going to be helped slightly due to inflation and staple goods. Even still, this was a positive quarter for Albertsons. And we talked to inflation. We'll talk to Rod Sides of Deloitte about it later as well. But customers are expecting to spend more as a result of inflation. And so therefore, we should expect sales at grocery stores to incrementally increase during the latter half of the year as customers are going to purchase a similar number of goods at higher prices particularly those staple goods, what Albertsons sometimes referred to on the call as those lightning bolt goods. Anyhow, with that preface in mind, let's get to the numbers. Albertsons comps were actually up 1.5% year over year against double digit growth last quarter. We've been seeing a lot of grocers shrink back just a little bit against those strong 2020 pandemic era sales. But this put their two-year stack for Albertsons at 15.3%. If you look across other grocers' second quarters, this certainly at the high end. And we should acknowledge, of course, that Albertsons' quarters are slightly offset from other grocers. Still, positivity here from Albertsons, the key to this call and kind of that regular theme to the call. They were able to beat analysts' expectations on both sales and earnings per share. Their digital sales also grew 5% over last year. On a two-year stack, this puts digital growth at 248% for them in the last couple of second quarters. Their top-line revenue grew also primarily as a result of two sources, that comp increase we've already discussed, and then an increase in fuel prices, which were not factored into those comps. These two impacts pushed revenue up $700 million or so. That's up to... billion during the second quarter. And although the company leadership didn't mention it in the prepared release, they did see incremental benefit as well from the opening of 26 net new stores since the conclusion of the second quarter last year. They're one of the few grocers who is really routinely opening stores during the pandemic, one every two weeks approximately. Although as we've discussed, we're now seeing chains certainly jump back into brick-and-mortar expansion now. 
on top of the expansion for Albertsons. They also finished off 76 upgrades and remodels in the first half of the year, which provided an incremental sales benefit as well. Non-traditional income, or as they call it, other income, continues to be a hot topic for retailers. Albertsons, no different. We'll talk about it also in the Looking Ahead segment. But Albertsons this quarter saw a roughly 60% year-over-year increase from about $11 million to $18 million. Now, this remains a very small chunk of Albertsons' overall revenue, but is still an area the company feels very strongly about as a financial growth driver. Now, finally, their income before income taxes was roughly similar to last year's strong second quarter. They saw a decrease of just $200,000, which is less than 1% of their overall income. After taxes, they actually saw a nearly $10 million increase year over year. Didn't see quite the taxing impact this year versus last. That led to diluted earnings per share of $0.52. Earnings per share up $0.03 versus last year, both as a result of that post-tax bottom line increase, and also they had fewer shares outstanding this year versus last year. Now, numbers, while important, aren't why we're here. We wanted to look at some of the more interesting aspects of the call, and CEO Vivek Shankaran said that their metrics show not only were comps up, but market share was gained again for the company in grocery. He noted that market share was up both on a one- and two-year basis. In turn, this was credited to strengthening customer relationships. Their membership rewards program, Just For You, actually saw a 17% year-over-year jump in memberships. When you think about this membership program, we think about the membership program for Kroger, for Albertsons, being fairly mature, but a 17% year-over-year jump is quite substantial for the company. Additionally, their continued expansion of drive-up-and-go and home delivery as well drove additional loyalty numbers, not just for their loyalty program, but in terms of repeat customers. These services now reach over 95% of their customers. That's an increase of about 4x versus 2019. These customers spend three times more than in-store only shoppers, so that, of course, helping to drive those sales numbers, but also helping to increase Albertson's market share in grocery. Numerically, currently over 1,900 of their 2,278 stores have drive-up-and-go options for customers now. Now, traffic was also up for them versus the second quarter of 2020. This was credited to the continued increase in overall comfort of shoppers to go into stores despite the Delta variant. Delta variant, of course, being offset by a higher percentage of vaccinated customers and people just wanting to get out more, something that Rod will actually discuss in our interview here in a few moments. Inventory for Albertsons, meanwhile, that was down slightly on a dollar figure basis. Now, the two big topics that just about every retailer has been discussing, inflation and supply chain. We'll get to supply chain in a moment, but Inflation, as far as that's concerned, it wasn't actually mentioned in prepared remarks. But as you can imagine, it was one of the first questions from analysts on the call. Shankaran said that CPI inflation, their metrics had it about 2% in the quarter. Albertson saw about 3% inflation for the products they were bringing in for the quarter as a whole. 
Now, he said recently in media interviews that they're seeing 5 to 6% as the year goes on, but he metered those expectations somewhat on this call, which I think is a positive sign for retailers saying that they now expect inflation for the second half of the fiscal year to be in the 3 to 5% range against CPI estimates of about 3.5%. And Shankaran went on to say that in their approach to pricing, a key metric they look at is gaining share in unit sales versus other grocers versus dollar sales. So he mentioned this in regards to pricing. The assumption here is that if they gain share in unit sales, they're providing some sort of value to the customer that's making them come back, that's making them routinely purchase these products. To that end, they've made selective pricing investments based on market rather than by product or product section, which is something different from what we've heard from other retailers who might be making price investments in certain areas of the store. The underlying indicator here, although it wasn't explicitly said on the call, is that perhaps those pricing investments maybe aren't as important for Albertsons in markets where their share is already strong. Let's say Boise, for example, where the company is based. Now, one other note Shankaran made on the call regarding inflation was exactly where the inflation is being seen. He said currently the leader in the clubhouse as far as inflation is concerned is protein. A big part of inflation for them is protein inflation. He went on to say that historically, protein inflation has been systematic. So they believe that at a certain point, prices in this category will cycle down again. Now, until that happens, they're placing an onus actually on in-store butchers, the people working in the stores themselves, to provide different options for consumers, acknowledging that consumers might be priced out of certain cuts and making other cuts not only available but also obvious to consumers as a potential substitute good. Certainly an interesting approach for Albertsons as you're looking at really store-by-store execution for help on that protein inflation front. Speaking of store-by-store execution, he also had a different take regarding out-of-stocks, which is that it's ultimately up to store management to manage out of stocks. He said it's like playing whack-a-mole where every day something else will be out of stock. But, and this is the most notable part, he said the onus is on the local stores to do a couple of different things here. One is provide the customer with alternatives, very obvious alternatives when possible. And the second thing is to ensure regular stocking and cross-checking of the backroom supplies versus the on-shelf supplies. Now, the suggestion here, which is actually counter to what we've heard from other retailers, is that their buyers are doing a fine job in sourcing product, and their supply chain is doing a pretty good job of getting it to stores, but that it ultimately comes down to local store execution to alleviate those out-of-stocks, to alleviate those empty shelves. New CFO Sharon McCollum, who was also on the call, she's formerly of Best Buy, as well as Williams-Sonoma, she added that they have a list of about 25 or so things that they're approaching differently regarding inventories to ensure high levels of in-stocks during the holiday season for customers. Now, moving on from the two hot-button topics for retailers, we talked just last week about center store strategies and outlooks for grocers 
as a result of supermarket news coming out with that center store survey. Albertsons echoed several of these strategies while also admitting that their center store isn't seeing the same growth that the edges are seeing. Their fresh categories, in fact, they outperformed center store by 250 basis points year over year in Q2. All fresh categories are up for them during the duration of the pandemic, despite the fact that supply chain continues to be a bit of an issue in fresh. Produce, bakery, meat, all up for them versus pre-pandemic. However, that hasn't stopped them from focusing on Center Store through new private label product launches. And that was a key mention in the study for grocers seeking to boost those Center Store numbers. Albertsons launched 85 new private label products in the second quarter. Year to date, that number is over 400. They still aim for over 800 new private label products to be launched during the fiscal year. In part due to these new product rollouts, sales penetration of private label was 25.2% in the second quarter, up 60 basis points year over year. Not only a driver of top line revenue here, but also, as we all know, a driver of margins as those private labels carry higher margins, generally speaking, for grocers. Now, a secondary topic for grocers that are expanding digital in particular has been throughput. Retailers started to get on top of buy online, pick up in store, curbside, and delivery, particularly in grocery. And so now it's not just a matter of launching these programs. It's understanding ways in which you can enable associate and then also systematic efficiency. And Shankaran was proud of the fact that their average wait time for the drive up and go pick up at those 1900 stores that have that option, pickup is down to three minutes. The average time from the customer getting to that particular stall, informing the store that they're at that stall to the time their groceries are being loaded down to three minutes. Delivery-wise, he actually also cited the addition of DoorDash to their stable of third-party providers for cutting down delivery times. Overall, again, positivity was the note to take away from this call, I think, from Albertson's. I think also some positive remarks regarding inflation because we have heard inflation estimates, whether from Shankaran himself or from other retail leaders, spot inflation above 5%. I think it's important to note that for the rest of this fiscal year for them, so about the next four and a half months of real time, they're seeing between 3 and 5%, which I think should be manageable for most retailers. And I think it's also interesting their strategies regarding center store We'll see if the glut of private label products, over 400 to be rolled out now in the last two quarters for them of this fiscal year, if that'll make a dent in those penetration numbers to push them upward. Well, that'll do it for our news segment. Coming up, we'll be joined by Rod Sides, once again, Vice Chairman of Deloitte LLP. He'll join us to take a deep dive into their holiday sales projection numbers including three different categories of consumers they've spotted for the 2021 holiday season and what defines each of those groups and how retailers should be reaching each of those three groups. A few weeks ago, we discussed Deloitte's preliminary holiday shopping expectations, which projected a year-over-year increase in overall spend. 
However, this week, Deloitte released some of the granular data for their annual holiday retail survey, and many of their findings were, as per usual, quite interesting. Here to discuss the data in detail is Rod Sides, Vice Chairman of Deloitte LLP and U.S. Retail Wholesale and Distribution Leader. Rod, welcome back to the show. Thanks. Good to be with you again. So just for our audience's sake, I was wondering if you could refresh us again on some of the history of this annual holiday retail data, where the data comes from, and then some of those overall high-level expectations for sales levels we expect in 2021. Sure. So this is the 36th year that we've done this detailed holiday study of consumers. So we surveyed about 4,300 consumers. Usually it happens in the first week of September, and we did that again this year. We talked to a, a number of folks and really wanted to understand what are their shopping intents. What are they thinking about? How much are they going to spend? Where are they going to shop, et cetera? And so we just find it to be really insightful as we go into holiday. So the highlights this year are pretty interesting. Number one, we're seeing an overall increase year over year to about 1463 on average in terms of total spend. That's up about 5%. Now, if you remember back to the last time we chatted, we had actually projected more like a 7% increase. And so the big question is, well, why? One of the interesting findings this year was there's about 11.5% of respondents who said that they were not going to spend in the holiday season, which was an all-time high for us. Normally, it ranges around 4%. So if we were to tease that out, the folks who are participating are going to spend a little bit higher than what we'd expected. But it's really interesting in terms of seeing that. In terms of the mix of digital and online, we continue to see digital lead the way. About 62% of the spend is expected to be online. We do find stores are clawing back. About 33% of the spend is expected to be in-store. So that's up from 28% last year. So we are getting back to essentially a new normal. We're finding experiences creeping back into the wallet as we go into the holidays. So experiences, entertaining inside the home, outside the home is up about 15%. So again, that's getting back to where we were in 19 so that feels like the mix is back to what we'd expected. And then the things that we're seeing in the marketplace around supply chain challenges and inflation continue to be at the top of the consumer's concern list as we go into holidays. So consumers are going to shop earlier. We think they're going to shop more venues. But that usually bodes well for retailers. So those shoppers who start earlier generally will spend more. So that's kind of highlights of what we're seeing so far. Yeah, let's talk about those supply chain issues because obviously you can't talk about a retail news story right now without talking about supply chain in one way or another. Obviously, it seems to be bleeding through to the consumer. What are we hearing from consumers about not only maybe moving that shopping cadence earlier, but their potential concern for out-of-stocks as well? Uh, the interesting thing, we asked the question because we knew it was going to be a hot topic. 75% of respondents said they're really worried about stockouts. And then when we broke it down and said, well, what are you really most concerned about? Electronics and accessories were the top of the list. About 49% of consumers were concerned about stockouts in those particular areas. So not only have the supply chain messages gotten out there, the whole discussion around chip shortages, et cetera, I think has started to creep into the psyche of the consumer. Toys and hobbies were number two on that list of concern at about 35%. So Really interesting in terms of the fact that consumers are painfully aware of supply chain is a big challenge this year. And supply chain isn't the only reason people cited for starting to shop earlier. What are some other reasons that people cited regarding maybe moving that shopping into October a little bit? Well, I think there's a couple things. Number one, folks were a little bit worried about the stockout piece of it. But then when you get into looking at wanting to move earlier, so that they can make sure they're prepared for the season. That's a big piece of it. 
you know, we found as we went in that folks felt compelled to start earlier so they could find the absolute right gift. And so that was something that really moved the needle in terms of people moving forward. We also, you know, believe that that's going to change the dynamic of how we're thinking about Black Friday, Cyber Monday, in terms of where that fits in the shopping journey, as about 68% of the folks said they were going to start before Thanksgiving this year. So that's up from 61. So I think a lot of those dynamics are, are playing into what the consumers are thinking about. So you mentioned Black Friday and Cyber Monday. Let's jump into that because... As you mentioned with the numbers regarding gathering and kind of getting back to what we saw pre-pandemic, we're seeing this increased intention from customers to maybe buy on Black Friday and Cyber Monday versus last year. What did the numbers bear out there as far as what we can expect on Black Friday and Cyber Monday this year? Well, the interesting thing around Black Friday is we're seeing it make a resurgence. And so when we talk to the, the shoppers, about 31% of the folks anticipate they'll be shopping on Black Friday. That's up from 24 last year. The average spend is up to about 430 At least the expectation is on Black Friday up from 410 last year. Interestingly enough as well, we're finding a lot of participation on Small Business Saturday. So that jumped from 14% last year to 20% this year. And then certainly Cyber Monday continues to be the dominant shopping day now. And so that's jumped up to 34% of participants expecting to be involved in buying on Cyber Monday up from 29% last year. So there seems to be a lot of enthusiasm around that particular week again as folks are looking to get back to normal. Some potential good news for those small businesses that we discussed last week on the show. Now, we've talked about supply chain, another big topic on the lips of retailers. We heard it again this week from Albertsons, is that of inflation. How are consumers perceiving inflation as we go into the holiday season? And more importantly, how might inflation or maybe the worry surrounding it impact consumer behavior this holiday season? Well, we looked at it a couple different ways because we anticipated this might be the case. So we asked folks, you know, are you planning to spend more or less? And so for the folks who are planning to spend less year over year, we asked what was the, the number one reason. Higher food prices was about 50% of the responses of why people are spending less. So we're finding that the wallet's being eroded by inflationary cost of daily items, and so that's a big driver. When we asked people who were going to spend more, well, why are you going to spend more? What we found is 39% of the folks said they just expected things to cost more. So when you put those two things together, it is going to be an interesting season, and it is going to put some pressure on the wallets of consumers. The interesting thing we did this year was we also asked retail executives what their expectations were. And in talking to about 30 different merchants, about 53% of those folks came back and said they expected product prices to increase and be passed along to consumers. And of that, they also, 57%, expected they would have lower promotions. So you take higher prices, lower promotion, you put those together, and it really is going to squeeze the consumer in the holidays. Now, you mentioned there a number of consumers expecting to spend more just because things will cost more. You also mentioned in the beginning about how there is a significant number of consumers out there who are not expecting to spend anything at all. And that brings me to some of the data regarding which shoppers are driving that uptick in overall average spend. When you break it down by consumer groups, which groups are really driving the expected rise in spend this year and which groups are maybe pulling that back to average a little bit? Well, you know, when we look at the data, 
data, we typically break it down in terms of household income the same way that the U.S. Census does. So what we're finding is that the higher income group, so those households that have over $100,000 of income are the ones that are driving most of the recovery. So we expect that group spend to be up about 15%. So going from 2279 in 19 to 2624 this year. And so again, a huge jump there. The middle income kind of treads water and, and it's pretty normal in a recovery. So middle income group is going from 1152 last year to about 1187 this year. So slight increase. But what we're finding in the lower income households, so those that are less than 50K in household income, we're finding about a 22% drop year over year from 688 to 536. So I think we can really see the impact of inflation, especially on that smaller group that just has a you know smaller wallet to be able to parse out between things like rent, utilities, food prices, gasoline, et cetera. And so, you know, we're finding that the growth is going to be driven by the top end. By the way, that's very consistent with what we saw coming out of the Great Recession back in 0708 is that as we go into recovery periods, generally the higher income group will recover much quicker than the lower income. And so we talk about these groups, their differences in spend. Some of this has to do and tie in with consumer sentiment, which is something that we talk a lot with you about. What are the indications generally as we enter Q4 regarding consumer sentiment as it pertains to retail, as it pertains to holiday shopping, and some of the economic bounce back that we're seeing throughout the scales there? Well, it's a great question. And this year, it's really interesting to look at the data. So when we ask people, what's your expectations for the economy to improve or remain the same, about 67% of folks expected the economy to improve or stay the same. That was down from 73% last year. So to me, that's interesting. In the middle of COVID, you know, we were a little more optimistic around the future of the economy than we are today. And then we asked folks about their household situation. Is it the same or better as last year? 78% had the same or better household financial situation than last year. That's up from 71. So we have a consumer who feels like the personal financial situation is better than it's been in the past. And yet at the same time, they're a little more pessimistic about, you know, the future of the economy. So I do think that a lot of these factors are weighing in in the psyche of the consumer. And so it will be interesting to see not only how this plays out as we go through holiday, but as we go into early 22, being able to understand what that impact will be on retail sales is going to be interesting. And then just regarding the numerical data, I did want to ask and kind of tease out, you talked about digital sales kind of in the open, what we can expect for digital sales, still very robust in terms of consumer sentiment regarding where they're going to put that spending. We've seen a trend throughout 2021 of digital sales growth slowing, of course. Retailers had such a great 2021 that it's tough to keep that year-over-year growth going. What can we expect based on this survey in terms of e-commerce or digital sales for the holiday season? Well, in terms of the absolute dollars, on average, we expect about $924 to be online and about 440 to be in store. So again, we're at about 62-33 split, if you will, in terms of where people are looking to spend. We projected early on, we think that growth is probably in 11 to 15% year over year. But to your point, we are working off a really big base. And if I go back and look at the trends from, say, 2016 through today, what we found is that the digital side of the equation has continued to grow. So as the, the digital sales get bigger, I think the percentages themselves look like they're falling off because, you know, the 
maintaining a, a high end, you know, double digit in the high teen growth is really tough over time as your base gets bigger. But I do think the consumers are voting with where they're going to shop. And then we know that online retailers are the number one place that people are going to go on holiday. And so as a result, I think we're going to continue to see that growth. So we've talked about all of these consumer numbers here, but I think one of the personal favorite parts of this study every year and the data that gets published is the breakdowns of different consumer groups based on the data. Every year, Deloitte goes through the data, breaks consumers into different groups. Usually these groups change up every year. This year, Deloitte notes three key shopper types. So what are these three key shopper types for 2021 and what characterizes each of these groups? Well, I'll give you the kind of top line. We have the hopeful shopper, the prepared shopper, and the conscious shopper. And so the idea is to really understand how do you appeal to those groups? So let's start with the hopeful one. This is roughly about 36% of the folks that we surveyed we put in this category. Their average spend runs about 14, 37. So pretty much, you know, a little bit below the average of what we're seeing overall. The demographics is a fairly even mix between male and female. Pretty optimistic about the economy. I got about 72% expect the economy to improve. So if you think about where we were just a second ago, you know, versus the 67 on average who were a little more pessimistic, it's really interesting that this group is pretty hopeful. What we find is that they will start shopping on or after Thanksgiving. And so, again, these guys are a little bit later in terms of when they're going to shop. They will generally shop one to four formats. Sustainability, as an example, is important to them. So, again, they're they're optimistic, they're hopeful for the future, and so as a result, you know, their shopping patterns kind of show that. When we get to the prepared shopper, this one's really interesting to contrast. So this is about 26% of the total population. Spends a little bit higher. It's about 1773. It generally skews toward a higher income group, believe it or not. But what's really interesting is this is a somewhat pessimistic group. So 43% expect a weaker economy in 2020. So again, that, thus they're getting prepared. They want to make sure they're ready to weather whatever storms may be ahead, et cetera. About 52% expect to start shopping on or before October. So again, making sure they're ready to go, they've got the things they're looking for, et cetera. They really shop at few formats, and they're generally the least anxious about shopping back in the store. So it's just interesting that, that the contrast, and when we talk about the importance of sustainable products, 55% are unwilling to pay extra for sustainable goods versus 37 overall. So what you find is they're, you know, they're somewhat pessimistic, they're a little more prepared. So it's really interesting to contrast the two. And then when you get to the conscious shopper, which is the, the largest group for us, about 17% of the total, on average, about 2228 in spend. This is a demographic that skews a lot more heavily female, tends to be much more financially secure, so they will lean into kind of the high-income group. Generally optimistic. They will spend more time in the duration of shopping from start to finish. Big preference for sustainable products in this instance. So it is really interesting to understand kind of the psyche of consumers and what leads them to shop a specific venue, focus on specific products, et cetera. And so from a retail perspective, there are certain strategies, marketing strategies, et cetera, that retailers can employ depending on who their primary customer customers are. And so it's, for us, it's fascinating just to see the differences in opinion and how people are thinking about the economy, kind of given where we are and the behaviors that they exhibit based on those notions of where we're going. Some great breakdowns there. And as you mentioned, a lot of that has to do with how retailers, how businesses can reach these particular groups. 
And I wanted to talk very briefly about marketing because it's been a huge topic for some retailers. Certain brands like Bed Bath & Beyond noting that maybe they overcorrected too much into digital this year. Other brands like Five Below diving almost completely into digital marketing through search and social. Now, I say all of that to say this. This study delves into how customers are not only seeking to find out about products, but also how they're seeking to research products. What were some of the findings there in terms of how consumers are doing their research about products this holiday season? Well, it's interesting because we have seen essentially the movement and use of social to to come way back over time. And we found this as well as we got into our back-to-school, back-to-college study back in the fall. And so what we found is that, you know, Early on with social media, I think it was one of those where you know, folks were using it just because it was novel. But now that we've spent more time at home, we've seen it start to come back. So when we, we talk to consumers and ask about the use of social media, what we're finding is about 28% of folks said that they're going to use that. Now, of that, it's primarily used, as you suggested, to research products, about 50%. So there's a lot of research going on. It's also looking at some... Influencer-generated content, about 52% of folks said they would look at that kind of content. The other thing we're finding is that folks are using social to understand the ethos of the brand. What's the brand stand for? You know, we just talked about the different factors around sustainability and, and what brands stand for across a subset of the consumers. And so being able to embody all the elements of the brand are really important. Folks are using social to do that. The other interesting point is about 28% of folks said they are planning to use shoppable media to make a purchase. So we've seen that grow as well. So I think this is one that this is just part of how we shop. It's part of the journey today. And social is playing a big part of it as we go forward. And as we put a bow on all of this in our discussion, regardless of marketing spend, how they're researching products, customers still seem to be valuing price as a major reason for making a purchase. What were some of the most important attributes customers cited in terms of making a holiday purchase in 21, up to and including shipping? Because I know that was a large topic as well. Yeah, a couple things. Number one, getting a great deal is always number one, especially in the holidays. Everybody's looking for that. So even though we might see prices be up and you know promotions we talked about earlier maybe not being as robust as they have, there's got to be this perception that you're getting a great deal. And so we expect that as we go through And then certainly people want great products. So those two are always given. But when you're talking about shipping, we have found that we've settled in what I think is a fairly normal distribution of how people compare the value of fast shipping versus free shipping. And what we're finding is about 85% of the respondents believe that certainly fast is important, but they value free over fast. So again, when you think about that, those are big factors in terms of how they want to receive the product, et cetera. And so again, what we find is that, you know, that's one of the reasons why we talked earlier about, you know, why people shop earlier. A lot of it is to make sure they get the items in their hands. And so as a result, how it gets to them is very, very important. What we're also finding an interesting thing this year is that fine line of pickup and store continues to kind of hold where it is in importance. Curbside has fallen a little bit in terms of the importance of curbside as folks have gotten more comfortable in shopping stores. And so all of that factors into, you know, kind of service levels that retailers have to deliver to meet that customer expectation. 
Well, Rod, it's always a great discussion. First of all, we thank Deloitte and thank you for putting together the data in this very, very complete holiday survey every year. But we also appreciate you taking the time to join us here on the podcast to discuss all of that data. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having us. It's always a highlight of my holiday season. As always, we may have a position in or against companies we discuss on the podcast. Do not invest in stocks solely on the input of the podcast hosts. Well, it's always great to have Rod on the show, and we've mentioned it before, but we always put a lot of stock in the Deloitte holiday forecast, so it's great to have him on the show to add a little bit of color to their raw numbers that they produce. Well, in our Looking Ahead segment, we previewed it in the news segment, but talking about non-traditional revenue for grocers. Kroger announced this last week that they are opening up a new advertising platform to ad buyers and ad tech companies across the globe. Now, in this circumstance, they had been trialing this program with General Mills and Nestle, among others. Basically, this platform is designed to sell ads within Kroger's app. So whether that be with local stores and local store chains or their websites. So you're not looking at necessarily this platform selling ads in store. So it's basically only for those that use the app or use the website. Here's the key. Here's the kicker. And here's the reason why advertisers might be interested is Kroger is offering up data from its loyalty program. Currently, Kroger has over 60 million U.S. households reflected within this platform. And so you're getting a lot of ultimately first-party data. Now, of course, this data, you would have to think, is anonymized in some way. But Kroger feels as though this is a big selling point to advertisers, to those with products available in their stores because of the crackdown on third-party cookies that you're seeing from Google and Apple on their browser platform. So I think this is an interesting way, certainly, for them to drive more revenue. But this non-traditional revenue stream for grocers has become a more significant focus area for them. So the reason I'm looking ahead I don't think it's outside the realm of possibility to see platforms like these roll out to advertisers from other companies. But what's next in terms of the landscape of non-traditional revenue? We've talked about driving non-traditional revenue through store advertisements, through the use of in-store audio as an example, through the use of third parties like the Blackhawk Network as another example. We're seeing, of course, app-based advertisements, website advertisements now based on loyalty data, what's next for companies as they search for ways to bring in revenue outside of, especially in grocery, a traditionally low profit margin retailing sector. You'd have to think that certainly this is going to extend because retailers have data on just about every customer, whether there's a loyalty platform or not. Retailers are very good nowadays at collecting data. So you'd have to think that you're going to see the likes of even the dollar stores that are out there, Dollar Tree, Dollar General, kind of get into this mix as well. Basically, any retailer that thinks that they can boost their margins from this non-traditional revenue sources where 
they likely already have the data at their disposal and it's just a matter of monetizing it in this case. I think you're going to see a lot of retailers put additional focus here. And just like we saw Albertsons boost their non-traditional revenue sources by over 65% in this previous quarter, I think you're going to see more retailers like Kroger, like the likes of Target and Walmart, certainly begin to tap into that well as well in an effort to boost some of their margins, especially as margins become eroded from traditional retailing as a result of that aforementioned inflation and as a result of increased supply chain costs. So that'll do it for us here on the Retail Focus Podcast. Once again, thanks to Rod for joining us on the episode. Thanks to Leighton Behind the Scenes. And we will be back with you approximately seven days from now. Everyone have a great week. This has been the Retail Focus Podcast. For more, visit our website at retailfocuspodcast.com and subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher. Follow us on Twitter at Retail Podcast.